have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the most frequent things we talk about as therapists with each other is running into clients outside of the therapy room. And we're going to hear today from our guest, Joshua, about two instances where he ran into clients in unexpected locations and times. Yeah, and it's really interesting to hear these two situations because they were pretty different from each other, and we get to reflect on what happened in between to help Josh grow with some maybe self-compassion, like some reflection, and the topic that, again, we revisit is like running into clients, but from a different lens. This is such a fantastic conversation, and we get a little sneak peek of Josh's book that he's coming out with, so exciting for our listeners. This is really like intro, sneak peek. Just a reminder that this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or bad therapy itself. All right. Well, this is episode number 89 of Am I a Bad Therapist? We're calling this one, and our next act is, let's get into it. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Ali. Hi, Catherine. It's a privilege to be here. We are excited to hear from you, but before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so uh, my name is Joshua Fletcher. I'm a psychotherapist based in Manchester in the UK. Um, I also go by the name of Anxiety Josh online. Uh, It's because I specialize in all things anxiety, whether it's anxiety disorders, STEAM-related anxiety. And yeah, I am a content creator and author on that subject. Um, also a previous sufferer of anxiety is why I, I got wanted to specialize in this subject uh, to replicate um, the same therapist I met when I was younger who really helped me um, so yeah that, that's what I do here I, I prance about on social media telling people about things and psychoeducation and stuff and I have my practice here in Manchester in the UK that's awesome. I feel like we could another, I feel like this is a whole nother podcast of like hearing therapist origin stories. So like, we'll that. come back to this. We're going to pin it. But <laughs> since we are here today for My Bad Therapist, what's the story you're going to share that made you question if you were about therapist? Um, I, I explained to you guys before that, that there's two and, and I really appreciate being invited on because I think therapists uh, should celebrate being a bit more 
human and not holding themselves so critically account obviously hold them holding themselves accountable but being so harsh perfectionistic and very inner critical uh so there was a couple i was going to share with you today and the first one was nice and light light and wholesome uh but made me feel very on the spot uh, and then i'll share another one afterwards uh which was more of a kind of or has a more of a serious tone i thought yeah but the first one was when i was a therapist it was a uh, two years in and I was building up my practice and I had several clients and I was very happy with that in private practice. And to supplement this, uh, I used to run a music night, uh, in Manchester, uh, where it was, a, uh, it was kind of half of an open mic and half people would come down and be booked. And I love doing this cause I love live music. Uh, and I used to do things like performance when I was uh, younger. Um, it was also nice to utilize my uh, undergrad drama degree, which had been gathering dust. And so prancing around in a pub, introducing people and roasting them was really fun. Uh, people seemed to like it. Also, you get to hear some really good bands and musicians. Anyway, this happened every week on a Tuesday and half the people would be booked in and half would just turn up. The week before, I usually book people in, but I was away on holiday. So my friend booked in this, the six pre-booked musicians, including the headline act. We, we have them the, the, the artist of the week, so we can celebrate local musicians and give them a bit of traction and things like that. And I thought, that's great. No, no sweat off my back. Anyway, if you can't sense where this is going, uh, I turned up, and when I'm at this place, I, I like to have a, a, a couple of pints of beer and, uh, and, and mess about. Uh, very, uh, not things I wouldn't be doing in the therapy room, but, you know, this is my life outside the therapy room. And it was going really well, introducing people, nice, nice night, nice rowdy night, people enjoying themselves, applauding musicians. Until it got to the last act of whom was in the back, prepping their instruments, doing something, I'm not sure. So I'm stood on stage being my my performing self, having fun, a couple of mates there. And I looked down at the list and read the band's name out, and out they came. Out came the bass player, out came the drummer, uh, out came the synth guy, really cool band. They had synth. Uh, and then the lead singer, who happened to be one of my current clients. And there was a room full of 120 people and we looked at each other and we hadn't seen each other. And I was like, and I had a pint of beer in my hand and I've been saying all sorts of irreverent things. And I just stopped and froze and I didn't know what to do. I, what do you do? (laughs) You know, like confidentiality. Um, but also how do I protect confidentiality? I'm not going to just run out the window and pretend I didn't see him. Um, and yeah, so that they, we just looked at each other, both rabbits in the headlights and that was a horrible moment. I mean, they definitely don't teach that one in school. I feel like that's not one that I would imagine would come up in our training, but so what did you do? What was going through your mind? What happened? Do you know what was really sweet is that this person got me out of it, um, and went on to talk about this story publicly so that's why i don't mind um 
uh, talking about it, but like, uh, if I don't talk about it publicly as, you know, I bet you've never been introduced by a therapist on stage. But at the time Amazing. I was like, uh, I, my default was to just pretend, just pretend that I didn't know this person. So I thought, you know, confidentiality was, was the most important thing, but it felt so inauthentic and cringe. And, and then I also felt bad because I'm like, oh, I hope they don't think that I'm like ignoring them and introduced them, ran off the stage. My heart was pounding. I was like, oh my gosh, this is really uh, quite awkward. And I was worrying for them as well. I hope it didn't affect their performance or uh, there's a lot of people mm. there. And I was like, oh, this is such an unfortunate situation. Uh, until this, <laughs> he broke into the first song, Old Bandit, and then the second song came on and I think he'd relax into it. And he just went, just wanted to thank you all for have, having us here. Thank you to the host, Josh, who, by the way, is also my therapist. And everyone just looked at me and looked at them. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then there was a couple of the locals in Manchester who don't know my other job. And they were like, Im, a therapist. Are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, And there was this whole show. And it was really nice because then the whole room was like laughing. But to be honest, this person got me out of this situation. And it wow. was really, really quite sweet. And I will always be grateful for, um, for that. And actually ended up being a, you know, a, a nice night. They understood, which was nice as well. Like they could see the predicament we were both in. And yeah, I think I, I learned quite a lot from it. What a, what a gift your client gave you that night. But also I'm thinking what an ideal match between therapist and client that you guys are so aligned that you both show up on the same stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was some kind of a, a alignment there. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think it was nice. And I think it was kind of symbolic of our connection as, as, as a therapeutic relationship. I think we, he didn't know I did this. I knew a bit, but I didn't ever think that this person would end up at, at the night I was throwing. And yeah, it, it was just nice. And I think, yeah, maybe those overlapping similarities, personality traits, maybe that that became aligned unconsciously in the therapy room and, ma and made it work. Um, like I, I'd love doing things like that. A lot of therapists in the UK are very worried about, you know, what if, people find out about what I do outside the therapy room with my hobbies and pursuits and stuff like that. And I just think naturally, I think it's, it's kind of important that people can see that you're human outside of it too. And yeah, I, I just learned a lot from it. Now, I feel like I have so many things to say, but I am going to ask this question first. Do you feel like after you had this realization, right, you walk off the stage, did your behavior change now that you knew your client was in the same space as you? Like, did you go from performer, like host Josh, did you slip into therapy, Josh, or did you keep enjoying yourself? How did you handle that part? Um, I initially hid under a table. Uh, I didn't really. I didn't. <laughs> uh, I ran off to the corner. And my default in this situation was just to pretend to still be the host. Mm -hmm. You know, I think mm -hmm. because you don't want to give away anything just in case that maybe a few people in that room knew I was a therapist as well. So you didn't want to give away anything. I slipped into the host mode, very anxious host. By the way, I was, my heart was pounding. I had all these horrible thoughts and I was like, oh my God, you know, what's happening here? Um, Firstly, about the person and then me. 
Um, but there was a mixture of selfish kind of, oh my God, and I hope this person's all right. You know, I don't, I, I hope I've not put them in a situation. And then my inner critic came in and was like, you know, you, you're a therapist and you knew this person was a musician. Do you not think it would be wise to tell them that you do this? And, and all these after the, after the event things that in hindsight, um, that we could have done, but yeah, it's interesting. The mode. No, I went, I, I, I stayed in the same role I was in, but it was not authentic when that happened. Mm -hmm. It was almost like pretend I was in pretend, Mm -hmm. um, in order to conserve the sanctity of the confidentiality the best I could. And what was your next session with the lead singer like? <laughs> uh, we laughed. It was uh, it was nice. It was um, yeah. It, it, I don't. I don't. It didn't harm the, the relationship at all, um, which I'm fortunate about. It, it was nice. And if, if, if anything, I don't know. I, I'm only speculating, but only. From my perspective, I think the relationship continued to, 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 to grow. I think it was already on that trajectory um, because of the courage and the willingness from, from the person and also just because there was a good connection there. And I think, thankfully, it didn't derail anything, um, which, yeah. So it turns out it, it all then it was very harmless and actually didn't derail anything. So I was quite happy with that. That's so great. I do feel like, though, it makes me laugh. Um, I feel like we often talk about, you know, what happens if we run into our clients in public, right? We talk about this, but hearing you say that some people in the room who didn't know you were a therapist were like, he's a therapist? Like, that's something I don't think about enough where sometimes <laughs> when we are just being our human selves, like we're having fun, like we're doing whatever we're doing and someone doesn't know what you do. And then to have that like reverse kind of situation than what we normally talk about, I'm still laughing about it. And I just, because we aren't always our therapeutic selves in public. We don't have to be. But then sometimes someone's like, wow, I can't believe you're a therapist. I'm like, I'm a different person then. Like, still me, but just a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. And and I think a lot of uh, therapists feel, kind of feel this kind of guilt sometimes and mm -hmm. shame of it, particularly when therapists are trying to date. I sit there and listen to my therapy mm. friends and they're like, trying to date. And sometimes they are very kind of, non-conventional alternative dating habits uh, not habits but you know like preferences mm -hmm. so it's like you know they may be dating in a world that is just beyond that of that and yeah i've heard some of those and and again it's like you're entitled to have your own life you're not your job is not to protect you know the the, the client from seeing you in all aspects of mm -hmm. the world you know, mm -hmm. obviously don't go and have a barbecue in their back garden. That's not ethical, but you're allowed to do things in public spaces. Do you know what I mean? Let's pause here for a quick ad break. Since you're here, we're going to assume that you already like learning from other people. And if you want to take that a little bit deeper and a little further, you should join us on the network. The Therapist Network is actually where Allie and I met and formed this podcast, if you can believe it, several years ago. It is where we have our unfiltered, unhinged at times conversations about what being a therapist is like and the unique aspects that come up in our work. Yes, and we value the Bad Therapist community so much. It is such an incredible part of this podcast, and it just reminds me of the invaluable community that is the Therapist Network, and it's just a gift that keeps on giving, and you really should come join us on the Therapist Network. 
Thank you, Allie, for the shout out. That was a very nice endorsement. I think we can offer everyone listening a 30% off discount for your first subscription to The Therapist Network. So if you're a mental health clinician, use code BADTHERAPIST to join us at thetherapist.network, and we hope to connect with you inside. Hey, listeners, it's Catherine here. And I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website cccs.care and sign up for free today. Well, let's loop back to the show. Well, I feel like this kind of transitions into the second story that we want we're going to talk to you about where sometimes we are out in public, right? Like being ourselves as humans. And I think you shared it came up in a different setting in a different way for you if you wanted to talk about that at all. Yeah, and I was often re- reluctant to, to, to talk about this as something I've written down um, and actually quite anxious to publish, but I like to practice what I preach in terms of fighting the therapist corner, but also celebrating humans as, as flawed individuals, uh, I being one of them. Um, yeah, so a lot of therapists go and train often because they know what it's like to feel you know, low, to struggle to go through things. And it's something, uh, definitely a reason why I went to be a therapist, um, not only for anxiety and anxiety disorders. So I struggled with OCD, um, intrusive thoughts, panic disorder, agoraphobia, um, loads of them, basically. If you've ever played bingo, the anxiety version, I think I might have won. But uh, back when I was training, I went through grief. So I lost my younger brother. Um, I was his primary carer and I lost him to cancer at 15. And then when I was processing that, uh, I lost my dad to motor neuron disease or Lou Gehrig's disease if, if uh-huh. to, to people in America. Um, and all this is one giant justification for poor behavior. No, it's not. But what I'm just trying to set the scene for where my head was at. So I was training and I had to take a break because my head wasn't in a good place. And I picked up some old habits from when I was younger. Um, so drinking too much, drugs, um, things like that, uh, which I'm very open about. Don't do now. Live a very happy and content life. But back then, I was not very happy. And seeking escapism. And one evening, I thought, I really want some escapism. Because I, every, everywhere I looked, I could see my brother, see my dad, um, be annoyed at people who seemed happy around me. And I went very selfish and inwards. So I rang my mates and they said, come out with us. We're going to a, um, a nightclub, a rave. 
And in Manchester, there's a big one called The Warehouse Project. Thousands of people picture lasers and different rooms, pounding music, really good fun um, for anyone. But no, I wanted maximum amount of fun because maximum amount of fun equals maximum amount of escapism. So I drank too much. I partook in some things I shouldn't have, drugs, several. And I was out till 3 or 4 a.m. And I do write about this in my book, but I think it's it's weirder saying it out loud. And I was at 3 or 4, 4 a.m. And off my face, you know, a mess. You know, there's a difference. You know, I was deluding myself into thinking I was having fun. But actually looking back, it was just pure escapism. And then I wanted the fun to continue. So the nightclub shut. And it's shut. And there's light. It's light outside. That's how late it goes. Wanted the fun to continue. So went back to my mate's flat. And it all continued. Anyway, you get the, you get the picture. When I was at the flat, I was chatting to someone who apparently I'd been chatting to throughout the night um and as i was chatting to this person doing drugs in front of them and all that i sobered up as i was getting more tired and this person said something they said oh it's it's really interesting to see how like normal you are i was like what do you mean that's confusing and because i've only seen one side of you it's really interesting to see how normal you are outside of the therapy and I was like, and then I just came into vision and I shockingly and quite ashamedly realized that this is the, one of the people who, um, when I was training, so I wasn't a qualified therapist, but when I was training, this is someone who I w- had worked with, a previous client. Um, yeah, and at that moment, I went into panic, shock mode, dissociated. Uh, was a, was a mess. Um, so my friend was really kind and asked everyone to leave and calm me down and stuff like that. But it was at that moment where I realised, you know what, you can't be, you can't sit in a therapy room or, well, I knew I wouldn't sit in a therapy room anyway because of grief and everything that was going on. But it was a real stark reminder to me that this is, I need to start looking after myself now. And I did, you know, uh, it was horrifying. If I'm being honest, probably a still a little bit ashamed of it um but obviously i've been to therapy myself and tried to forgive myself for these kind of things but yeah and that was a big one for me uh to, how do i come back from that you, you can't be a therapist you can't look after yourself um thankfully that was a very long time ago and i uh, went on to qualify and become <laughs> do my masters and all these things and very happy now but that was a low point and it really broke the fourth wall of what is almost Mm -hmm. the therapy stage that you place Mm -hmm. yourself on and yeah I I mean I don't know if it ever kind of affected this person seeing me like that but because it's not my responsibility to be a role model but it is my responsibility if I'm being put in that position to kind of represent integrity and also represent my own profession and that, that this was a time where I did not. Um, and yeah, I think if anyone has been at their lowest and questions themselves as a therapist and stuff like, we don't all have our stuff together. And yeah, that was that was a big learning curve for me. Um, very big learning curve. Uh, and yeah, and not a common thing. 
So I hope there's no one listening going, wow, what a <laughs> what a mess. No, 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 that's not me at all now. But yeah, I thought I'd share that as well because, you know, it, it, there's some wholesome ones and some dark ones. Um, and that really did make me question, am I, am I a bad therapist? Well, at that time, probably yes. At an open mic, introducing someone, no. I do feel like it... Obviously, this was in a low point for you with a lot of unique circumstances, but I do feel like, and even I think actually on the therapist network that Catherine and I are a member of, recently there was a topic of conversation about how sometimes we might see someone and be like, how do I know you? And you can't quite place it, but also that's a very dangerous thing to be like, you look so familiar, right? Like as a therapist. So obviously your situation was, you know, unique and, but it also I feel like can kind of relate to other situations where we might forget, especially if we've been doing this for quite some time or we interacted in a short time with someone and you can't, you might not recognize someone you used to work with. So mm-hmm. I feel like it still has that relatability piece and it came up again, even just recently talking about it. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, I think, I think actually what happened during, during the, during the latter anecdote was when you're out and my friend, my face was just associating with friendly faces at the time. And I thought I was safe to not be a therapist where I was because I didn't want to do that. There was a huge degree of misfortune to it as well. Um, <laughs> I say this with words because I, st- I still have shame about it, but there's like I, I, stuff I've dealt with and see it through a more rational lens from my own therapy. But yeah, there is that. I think there is that. Where do I know you from? Where do you find mm-hmm. that? Yeah, sometimes that curiosity kills the proverbial cat. So Josh, I'm curious because the instance where you saw a former client while you were in training at your friend's apartment happened before you announced your patient on stage. How, what did you learn from the first scenario where you didn't recall talking with one of your clients, former clients? What did you learn from that and how did you carry it with you to have a different reaction or a different approach when you were on stage announcing your client to come out? Good question. Um, I think in the time between those two incidents, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of self-compassion definitely worked on that. Um, When you lose someone younger than you, not in the order that time suggests it should happen, you're left with a lot of survivor guilt. And I think I dealt with a lot of that. Uh, I dealt with this concept of deserving, um, which I think, you know, like, I think I'm a good therapist. I've always been a very good, compassionate and empathetic person and a good listener. And during that time, working on my own stuff and working with my own fantastic therapist, not just one, I work with like two or three, um, not at the same time. That's that'd be strange. All in the same room, like you are. You are a head case, man. We need three of you, three of these. Uh, but just, I think the the main difference between that is the wanting to be a therapist to fix something in myself, mm-hmm. and then the second time was I know I'm a good therapist, and I want to do this because I enjoy it, because and it's something I feel like I'm good at, you know. And I think that was the difference. Um, and yeah, that self forgiveness. Yeah, there was a bit of shame and worry and anxiety I think quite naturally but the difference was I just never really thought of it like this it's really good it's like my reaction was different it was it wasn't as self-critical as it was back then and yeah I think 
yeah, just my default reaction to a scenario like that was was more self-compassionate. And I think more therapists should tap into that. I speak to a lot of therapists, beat themselves up a lot, extremely perfectionistic. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. that really, yeah, I, thanks. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> That's a really good question. I was like, yeah. I'm um, a therapist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Would you like to come to an open mic and play an instrument? Absolutely, <laughs> I would. It's actually a very pointed question for Catherine. It's very on point. <laughs> come over with my husband next time to the UK. We'll be good. I'll meet you up. Yeah, that's great. I'm not going to Swindon, but yeah, I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I. Gosh, well, I feel like this is a good maybe segue into the question we ask all of our guests, Josh, of if you you know, were going to share with someone who found themselves in a similar situation, whether it was them being at a low point in their life, if it was running into a client in public, any, you know, whichever strand you want to pull from, what advice would you share with them? First bit of advice would be go easy. Mm-hmm. I think Catherine mentioned before, like, uh, or no, I think it was you, Ali, it was, they don't, they don't train you for this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no manual that you just can just pick out and go hmm what to do when this really unlikely situation occurs um yeah go easy you know like i said you're not trained if you don't know something in that precise moment don't expect to be able to retrieve the perfect idealistic reaction um in that scenario you know you get, you, you're kind of on your own a little bit here and secondly, is trust your intuition a bit. Trust, like trust what you can do. If, if you're there and you're anxious and you're in that difficult situation, the spotlight's on you, go with your intuition. I think it's like, it's okay, well, what can I do? And make the best out of what is a tricky situation. You know, you, you're not going to avoid feeling weird. You sometimes can't avoid making the other person feel a bit weird. I know I've seen my therapist out in public, and it's quite, I think, jarring's a bit too strong but it's very confronting it's very like oh oh yeah like that mystical magical world that i go to in that room once a week is empty now because in my head my therapist is always Mm -hmm. sat there and never leaves (laughs) and doesn't have and so it's that kind of ring it brings it into that into that world uh i my advice would be yeah go easy use your intuition uh, I'm an anxiety therapist, so don't ruminate on it. You d- don't go around in circles. What's the point? You know, you're in bed thinking about it. Oh, God, I wonder if that would... It's okay. If anything, just reflect on what you did right, mm-hmm. you know, and if it needs addressing in, in the therapy room, then you can, you know, be professional with integrity, open and honest, and and and, and believe in yourself to move through it and past it. And so, Josh, now I feel like we did get a little sneak peek as to a project you have coming up. Do you want to share where our listeners can find you and what you have coming up? Uh, yeah, thank you. So uh, I'm Anxiety Josh, or Joshua Fletcher. Uh, really happy to announce that I have a book uh, out um, called And How Does That Make You Feel? Uh, everything You Ever Never Wanted to Know About Therapy. Um, it's uh, you're in the US, aren't you? You get the book before the UK. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So it's out in, um, in just under a month for you guys. So it's published okay. through HarperCollins, Will, William Morrow um, in, in the US. And it documents 
the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a therapist. So the USP of the book is that there's little thoughts in my head. And I was going to ask you guys if you can relate to these. So um, I, it follows the stories of four clients, obviously anonymized and scrambled so no one can identify themselves. Follows the stories of four clients. Um, one is a famous act, actress. Another is a doorman of a nightclub in Manchester. Another is a doctor. Another is a young accountant with a secret to tell. And it documents the kind of sessions that I, little bits of these sessions of of how I would work with these people, but also the voices in my head that are going on during that. And there's 13 Mm. different voices. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you've got anxiety, like, oh my God, what if they judge me and I'm a rubbish therapist? Mm -hmm. You've got analytical, like, I wonder which modality to draw upon for Mm -hmm. this presentation. You've got intuition. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got critic. Like, you know, well, usually an inner critic in, in, in this in this book. Um, compassion, which is a big one. Um, volition, which is the voice that says, listen to that voice instead. Uh, and they all argue and talk. And um, my favorite voice and the favorites of many people that have read it are the uh, irreverence. These are the thoughts that you just get randomly. When, as you're in, when you're a therapist in the room and you're really concentrating and you're really in this person's frame of reference and you just get an odd thought, just like, what if, I don't know, I just jumped out the window now. I don't know, just screamed like Tarzan and jumped out the window. What would happen? And I'm like, why are you thinking about that right now? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then there's all this chatter. And then it's like, in, Volition always comes back and says, will you concentrate back on the client listening? Um, and these voices, you see the origins of them. Uh, a big one that features is savior. So a lot of therapists may have started with a very loud savior voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they train, savior voice gets quieter because it becomes balanced as you become more of a, prof- of a professional voice. Uh, and then it's just layered with lots of little anecdotes. So those um, four stories come to a conclusion, some great, some not. Um, loads of psychoeducation in there about anxiety. So if you have anxiety, you'll, you'll love that. Um, it's, and I've written it as a book for everyone to access. So one of the biggest things I hear with, um, with a platform talking about anxiety is I wish my loved ones understood more or knew how to. Mm-hmm. So I've written as, as a engaging stealth help kind of drama book where people are enjoying it, but then they're also like, wow, I really learned a lot. And it's just for nosy people as well. If you're just really nosy, I think therapist is quite a mysterious profession, isn't it? It's like, it's really yeah. nosy. What, what happens behind the door? What's my, what's my therapist thinking? That's basically uh, what <laughs> I write about. And, um, and it's just been commissioned for streaming TV as well, which is, uh, which can be really interesting. Congratulations. So, Congratulations. Holy moly. Cool. Yeah. That's and awesome. I've, I've had lots of insulting suggestions about who was going to play me. Uh, which I will not share. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we feel so honored to get a sneak peek. And I think this is going to release before the book. So our listeners are too. So do you mind sharing the release date so either they can know if it's already out or not whenever they're tuning into this episode, if you have them? Yeah. So the in the US, uh, you are lucky in the US. For, uh, I've got to keep it quiet from the UK people. Um, but in, in February, it's released... Um, Oh, I think it's the last week of February. 
I'm not quite sure which day. It's the last week of February. Um, There's been a really exciting kind of response to it. It's been selected as the Adam Grant, Malcolm Gladwell recommended read for February. That's incredible. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a... No one's done it yet. And whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. <laughs> so, so just is. because someone hasn't done something, I don't know if it's a good idea. Um, but yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's been recommended by them. And yeah, it's got some nice pickup in the UK and the US. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And then when's the release outside of the U.S.? Because we do have a lot of international listeners as well. So when can our non-U.S.-based listeners um, around? Is that in March it's coming out? Yeah, March the 14th. Um, You'll be seeing me doing cartwheels and screaming and cheerleading for it and being doing all sorts of annoying things to shamelessly promote it. But uh, yeah, it's out in March the 14th. Oh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. Uh, Do do you know what? uh, One of the main things I wrote, when I was doing doing this, they were like, "What? Who's this book for?" And I think for therapists as well. I just there's so many little mm-hmm. Easter eggs in there for therapists that you'll look at that and you know you'll get it, but you'll know that anyone who's not a therapist just won't. Uh, and there's these little habits that we all have, and I and um, yeah, those little Easter eggs are an ode to our profession. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to read it. We're again, thank you for sharing some sneak peeks. This has been so fantastic. So thank you for sharing your story. And we can't wait to hear what comes for you next. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. That was really fun. And it was really lovely to meet you guys. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the bad therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at air for effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah. Over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge. If you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday.